Hey y'all, welcome back to the Brianna Approved Podcast. I am so excited because I have one of my favorite people on the show today, Dana Monsies. And for those of you who do not know Dana, you will be so in love with her after this show. She is a dietitian and a nutritionist with a master's of science, CNS and LDN, and a body image coach who specializes in helping women with gut issues and burnout um, with a non-diet approach. Her philosophy combines neutral nutrition, which we will get into, weight-inclusive care, and her training in integrative and functional nutrition to help women heal their relationship with food and their bodies as a root cause of chronic health conditions. She's also the host of an amazing podcast called Wholehearted Eating Podcast, and she's actually been running a nutrition recipe blog since 2014. So she's like an OG in this space. So Dana, welcome to the show. How are we after the holiday little weekend? We are great. Thank you for having me on. I always love our episodes because we just kind of like, it seems like we start off rambling, but then we get really deep into the science and we've got very practical tips and everything. So I'm excited to see, uh, you know, what we're going to get into. I love that Dana, um, for those of you who don't know, is like one of the smartest people I know actually and has all the credentials and alphabet soup behind her name, but also loves to keep it real. And I don't know if that's partially like your East Coast roots or what it is, but (laughs) you do a great job of always combining science and then like, but this is what you need to do next. So I have loved how even your podcast, I think, has evolved over the years and you do such a great job of putting, um, you know, content out there. And I think a really great jumping off point would be since it was just Christmas and we are coming up on New Year's, New Year, New Me, blah, blah, blah. What would you say to somebody who is like, I want to do a cleanse and a reset right now after the holidays? What would be the first sentence that would come out of your mouth when someone's like, hey, Dana, I'm ready for a cleanse. What should I do? Um, so kind of depends on the person, but to most people, I would say, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense considered, you know, considering like all of the marketing that's being thrown at you from all sides, but what are you looking to get out of it? Right. And this is kind of the way that I work with my clients too. Um, and you have to, if you're going to say this to somebody, you really have to come across in a very non-judgmental way. Not like, what are you going to get out of that? You know, cause that puts people on the defensive. Um, but what, what most people are looking to get out of something like that in the new year is kind of a reset, right? Like during the holidays, especially over the last, you know, two years, we've all felt very out of a routine. And I think one thing that is really helpful for people about a new year, whether you call it reset, detox, refresh your habits, whatever it is, they're all going for the same thing, right? Is it's trying to get people back into a routine or into new habits that's going to help you feel better from the inside out. So if that's the goal and they explain that, then I would say, well, you know, that's probably not the most sustainable way to go about that. You know, like, let's get into it and let's see what's actually going to work for you, what's going to work for you in the short term, what's going to work for you more sustainably in the long term, and then we can go for that. I love that answer because that's a way nicer answer than I would have probably said. I would have been like, (laughs) it's a hard no, we're not doing that this year. But also I love that you got into the second layer of that of like, okay, but why? Where is that coming from? What does even a reset quote detox mean to you? Which is like, you know, the whole idea I think of, you know, functional medicine and all that. So um, what, how would you explain? Cause I love this idea that you talk a lot about like neutral nutrition. So like, what does that mean to you? And like, how do people even get into this philosophy of adopting neutral nutrition? Yeah. So the way that most people learn about nutrition, and this is like the general public, right, is in a very all or nothing way. 
And so it's like either I'm being healthy or I'm off the wagon. Either I'm eating like I'm eating during the holidays or I'm eating like I'm eating in January, right? It's like very like all or nothing kind of black and white mentality. And that really is because health has kind of been co-opted by dieting. Um, and so when people think, oh, I'm going to get healthy, the person that they think of is like, oh, I'm going to go on a diet and I'm going to go to the gym, right? But the way that I approach nutrition is instead of going at things from like an elimination perspective, which even in functional medicine, this is what we're trained in, right? It's like you got thyroid issues, here's an autoimmune protocol. You've got, you know, lymphedema, here's a protocol. It's like here. And it's very all or nothing, even if people don't have very extreme symptoms, there is a time and a place where you do have to eliminate foods based on your symptoms. Like I have celiac disease. I'm definitely not going to be out here telling people who have celiac to eat gluten. Like that would be unethical and very irresponsible of me. But at the same time, I have seen from firsthand experience, clinical experience, anecdotal experience that people who do these types of all or nothing protocols over and over again, who aren't actually feeling better in the long term, it's actually really messing up their perception of healthy and what they think they need to do to be healthy. And then also really messes with their body image and their relationship with food. And when I say that, I mean, it becomes a really like chaotic, stressful, you're thinking about food all the time. You don't know what you should or shouldn't be eating. And it's a constant battle of like, oh, whatever, I'm just going to eat, you know, whatever it is in the house or get whatever for takeout because I'm so tired of thinking about this. Or you're obsessing over like every single bite of food that you're eating and wondering if it's going to give you disease or if it's going to make you healthier. And so when I talk about neutral nutrition, it's learning how to use food in a very kind of like inclusive way, right? In that if you do have celiac disease, yeah, we got to pull gluten out. But we also, when we're thinking about why we're pulling a food out, it's not because it's a bad food, right? There, we're taking the morality out of the equation and we're bringing more evidence-based practice into the equation. Okay, if you get a stool test and your anti-gliadin IgA is high, which is an enzyme that's produced in the presence of gluten, and it's really high, you probably need to take out gluten for a period of time. Is it, does it, we're doing that because gluten is a bad food and it makes you a bad person if you're eating gluten? No, it's because your body's not reacting well to it, right? So always leading with like a really non-judgmental approach because people are really messed up around food. Most people are. Like I have not met a single person who hasn't actively worked on this at some period in their life to kind of unlearn the dieting equals health or like weight automatically equals your health mentality that has a neutral relationship with food, right? And so what we're going for here is more of an add-in approach rather than an elimination diet approach. Like we're going away from the all or nothing mentality and figuring out, okay, I don't have to do, for example, a whole 30 in January. I don't have to do a sugar detox in January. I don't have to do, you know, a 21 day fix or whatever all these other things are called in January in order to be healthy. You can incorporate some of the teachings of those programs if they are applicable to you and you find it sustainable for your life. But what I've seen is most people who will do these diets in January, because that's really just what they are. It's just like, you know, reset, diet, detox. It's all the same thing. It's just a different package. Most of them end up binging in February or if not mid-January. And so it's like, well, is a binge restrict cycle actually healthy? Is that what you're going for? Probably not. So how can we do this in a more moderate way that is also going to involve a lot of unlearning that you have to do that kind of 30-day reset in order to be healthy? I love 
all of that because I think you and I are both very similar with most people who end up working with us. It's like you're teaching people how to release thoughts and patterns and all that that just kind of doesn't even work for you. And even if it did in the past, right? And it's like a lot of it is unlearning. I would love to hear your just kind of your 30,000 foot view on you know, I think when people talk about dieting and reset, they think about it maybe sometimes who someone needs to actually lose weight, right? Like there's that bucket of, of people and you see that and you're kind of like, no, okay, like I get it a little bit more. But a lot of people, women and men included, physically look, quote, healthy, right? Like they look fine and they actually end up, end up having some of the most dysfunctional relationships that I've seen around food. So how do you work with somebody or how do you start to have that conversation with somebody who maybe falls into that latter category of they physically look healthy, they're kind of doing all of the healthy stuff and they kind of have just, you know, they can get away with it a little bit more because they're like, this is my lifestyle and I'm not going to do this. And I love to go to the gym at 5 a.m. and whatever. And they actually are having the internal battle conversation of being like, I'm not happy with my body. I wish I looked different. I have to still weigh my food or track macros like how does that person actually maybe even realize that they're lying to themselves and even start to like let go of that a little bit more and be like no you know what i actually have a very dysfunctional relationship with food and i need to work on that yeah so i think there's two ways that i would go about this is one which is more of the mental health aspect right is like does health have a look or like what does healthy look like for you because for a lot of people who develop a dysfunctional, unhealthy, disordered, or even eating disorder relationship with food, their perception of what they should look like, what they do look like, and what actually is healthy becomes very dysmorphic. So I work with a lot of people who are doing the things, right, in very, many different various body sizes who are, you know, eating balance, moderation, healthy, whatever you want to call it, like they enjoy going for runs or they enjoy gentle movement and, you know, they try and do the self-care things, but they look in the mirror and that's not what they see because they think they should be something, they should be seeing something else is what they think based on the behaviors that you're doing. So part of it is looking into like, okay, does, do you think healthy has a look? And if so, like, what does that look like? And then if your perception of what you look like in the mirror doesn't match that, then it makes sense as to why you would think you're unhealthy and you're going to these, what really are compensatory behaviors of usually food and exercise in order to try and change your appearance. Another piece of the like reprogramming or unlearning is that even if you like, Brianna and I, and 50 other people, if we all manipulate our food and exercise in the same way, we would all still look completely different, right? Our bodies might change on their own, but comparing us to each other, we might look entirely different, right? So part of this is also like dispelling the myth that you can automatically change your appearance to fit a certain mold if you work out a certain way and you eat a certain way. And then the last part is thinking about like, okay, well, where, where is this coming from? You know, when we're thinking about like health in general, another part of the unlearning or relearning or like reprogramming or, you know, whatever you want to call it is health is so much beyond the physical. So for a lot of those people, they're really only defining health by what they look like, right? Which then goes back to the, okay, what do you think healthy looks like, right? But if you're neglecting or making your mental health worse, at the cot or like for the purpose of your physical health, 
I would argue you're not actually healthy, right? Because you could have a person who's in a very small body within the quote unquote normal BMI range, who is the most depressed person that you've ever met in your life. But if they put makeup on, if they put clothes on, if they're out with their friends and for one night they can kind of turn it on, you would never assume that there's anything, you know, quote, wrong with them because they're in, you know, the normal quote unquote BMI range or whatever it is and they look fine. It's like, this drives me crazy because I work with people who have eating disorders as well. And, you know, when you work with families of people who have eating disorders, it's like, oh, or friends, you know, it's like, oh no, like, but they eat when they're around me. It's like, okay, well, how often are you around them? Yeah. 99 or, you know, maybe 90 or even 50% of the time you're not with them. You don't know what they're doing or how they're feeling or what their mental health is like, spiritual, you know, psychosocial, all of the things. So it's, multi-tiered right it's never a simple answer in nutrition it goes beyond nutrition as well it's like okay where is this coming from what are our beliefs that are driving us to these behaviors and then thinking about how our health goes so far beyond just physical health as well there's so much that you said there that resonates with i think all of my listeners the clients i've had um even with past versions of myself as well and I, I'm sure you see this a lot too, like food issues and as a nutritionist, like it's never about food. I joke, I talk about food three, maybe three to 5% of the time, right? Like, so I, I don't ever think that it's always about that. Do you feel like there are some underlying themes that you see that maybe manifest as a food issue again, like maybe cause they feel out of control in another area of their life. It's a self-worth thing. Like where do you see some kind of similar buckets where they're just putting it on? Oh, it's just a food thing that I'm working through, but really it's much deeper than that. The iceberg, we have to really get under that. Yeah. I mean, there are so many things, right? Even with eating disorders, it's never actually about the food with most people. It's they're using food and exercise as a way to control their appearance or to get some semblance of control in their life. If they feel out of control in other areas of their life if they're a perfectionist if they're a people pleaser for a lot of people it is this deeply ingrained belief that i can only i will only be healthy or attractive or belong or be uh able for someone to love me if i fit within a certain like beauty mold basically um and so, I mean, Brene Brown talks a lot about this. It's like the fear of not being loved or like the fear of not belonging. Like those are two core things that all human beings want on some level, right? To sure, varying degrees, whatever. But if there is a fear or a belief that we won't be able to attain those things unless we are a certain body size, then we tend to see that there is a lot of compensatory behaviors specifically with food, also with exercise, but we can also see this a lot. Um, to give an example, when other things feel out of control, you see this a lot with teenagers because they're living in their parents' house and they feel like they don't have control over anything and they want to control something. There's a huge proportion of teenagers that will develop eating disorders. At, with that as a part of the equation, trauma is a big part of the equation as well with food issues. Um, and we can go into that if you want as well. But to give an example, the first, you know, let's say a couple of months when the world shut down in 2020, right? People went to food and exercise as a coping mechanism. Either people were doing diets and trying to join into challenges or everything like that, or people were binge eating or people were comfort eating or people were whatever. 
because food is was one of the very few things that we felt like we had control over. And we also kind of felt like with all of the rhetoric around like the quarantine 15 or whatever, it's like the first summer of COVID, it was like, your body kind of felt like your report card of like how well you did in quarantine. So that really lent people to develop even more of a disordered relationship with food because for some people it, you know, quote unquote worked if they did their diets and they did their home workouts and everything. And then if you saw your friends in the summer and they were like, oh my God, what have you been doing? You look so good. You get that validation. And then it's like, oh my gosh, the only way that I'm going to get this validation continuously is if I continue to micromanage my food, if I continue to do whatever behaviors that you had been doing when you were in the pandemic. This also happened for people who had severe anxiety or severe depression, right? They just weren't eating as much or, you know, whatever it was. Think about what happens to your mental health when you, let's say you have severe anxiety, severe depression, and you've lost weight because you just don't freaking care about food for months. And then people are like, oh my God, what have you been doing? You look so good. Be like, well, actually I was severely depressed, right? And so most people aren't going to say that, but they will internalize the, wait a minute, I look good now. They weren't complimenting me before. I need to continue losing weight if I want to continue to get these compliments. Yeah, which goes back to the whole very vicious cycle of external validation or always seeking an external something. So like when I- People pleasing. Yeah, when I get to this weight or when I look a certain way and it's always taking the onus off of ourselves of I really love myself no matter what but I still now need to get these compliments. And I tell people all the time, like, listen, yeah, those compliments feel great for anybody. It could be anything. You changed your hair, your skin looks better, whatever it is, right? But people aren't going to follow you around and keep repeating that like 30 times in a row, even if you lost, let's say, 100 pounds. Like, so after a while, you do have to, you know, start to look inward. So I think this is where the conversation of social media, I think, is really important because, I don't know. It's a love-hate thing, right? And then I think we see both sides of it. We have the people, I think you and I have talked about this in the past, where people pretend to be like, I'm so brave on social media now talking about my body image thing. And I'm like, right, but three weeks ago, you were like promoting waist trainers and like a bro diet. And now you all of a sudden are open about your eating disorder. And that's great to be open about that. And I'm happy that people feel safe. But I feel like we have we have body shaming on both sides now, like skinny shaming. And then we have body positivity. And then like, but then that borders like, well, are we actually being healthy? And it's like, how is it helping? And how is it hurting? And where do you kind of fall on the social media as a tool in the health toolbox? Oh my God, social media is just such a mess. It's just like a tornado of clusterfucks. It's it just, it's like, uh, it's so hard because on the one hand, social media can be a good thing when you're following up with people that you haven't seen in a long time the og way that we used to use facebook when it yeah. first came around right and it can also be helpful to find for example let's say you have an autoimmune disease or something it's going to be very hard for you to find other people in your community if you have like a very specific autoimmune disease locally right especially because we don't Compared to, you know, two plus years ago, we don't see as many people as we used to, right? Just in general. So when we're thinking about social media and what how it can be used as a positive way, you can build a community of people who are supportive with your health condition, for example, or your sport or whatever it is. But God, it's so toxic most of the time. 
Um, and I've only found that with a lot of curating, can social media be even a like moniker of a bonus in most people's lives? Like we are both on there, yes, to provide education, but it's also a part of our business, right? Like yeah. Instagram really is one of the, let's call it like a lead funnel for potential clients to find us, right? If that was not the case, I don't think that I would be on Instagram like 1% of the time that I am right now. Um, and to use an example of this, I'm gonna use TikTok as an example. So for anybody who doesn't know, the TikTok algorithm is a little bit different than Instagram's because TikTok, as soon as you like something, it starts to bring you, basically it puts you down different rabbit holes based on what you like. Now, this can be helpful if you really only wanna go on TikTok to see cute puppy videos and you keep liking them, they're really only gonna show you puppy videos and like maybe a couple of other things. But they're actually, TikTok is being investigated right now because there, the algorithm has been um, shown to perpetuate eating disorders because of the way that it works. If some teenager or whoever they are are liking what's called pro-Anna content, which is like anorexia content and stuff, which teenagers are vulnerable. Like, of course, you know, they're trying to find a way to control stuff when everything feels out of control. I totally understand. I had an eating disorder. I get it. But when that starts to happen and then they go deeper and deeper down that rabbit hole there's now no other conflicting opinions there's no body positivity there's no food neutrality there's no body neutrality it's just here's all of the reasons why it's good to be anorexic and here's all the trip ticks and tips and tricks to trick your family and you know all these other things and so it can be so incredibly damaging. And that's, you know, that's an extreme example, but there have been so many studies that show the increase of social media uses, usage also increases the um, percentage of mental health issues in teenagers and just everyone in general. So, I mean, I think, you know, if we're talking about detoxes or anything like that, if I'm gonna recommend that anybody does anything, I would say, detox your social media feed in the sense that if you're going through your feed and anything that comes up I don't care if it's your aunt I don't care if it's an influencer you've been following for six years or whatever their profile will be there when you get back okay this season in your life if you're going through anything and it's like oh that really doesn't make me feel good or that makes me feel like I should be doing something that I'm not doing right now unfollow you can always go back they delete your profile, whatever. That's not your problem. That's a them. That's not a you, right? So thinking about if I'm going to continue to engage on social media, which most people are, including ourselves, make your experience less triggering, more enjoyable by removing things that are not making your experience enjoyable. My new biggest flex, I used to just mute people because I thought that was more polite. And I was like, who am I trying to pretend like that if I don't like somebody or they're not contributing it to a positive, you know, energetic, you know, value to my life or whatever. I'm like, I'm unfollowing you. That's like my new flex. I'm like, I, it's also just the idea again of like, sorry, I'm not sorry. And this is a boundary I have to draw. And I think that just kind of does come a little bit with age and, you know, to, to you and I, not to age ourselves, but we have, I think kind of grew up with social media and seeing it evolve. And like, no, this is when you used to have to do like blogs and write like a couple hundred, you know, characters, not just like th and even that now it's like, people don't even read captions anymore. And I'm like, what no. is going on? And I feel like it's also a very fine line for confirmation bias of, to your point. So let's say you do have, or you think you have some kind of health issue 
and what we talked about earlier too like i argued the same thing like i think you stressing out about making a healthier version of xyz or not eating xyz is more problematic than just having a little bit of the real thing unless you have a full-on anaphylactic shock right like that's totally different medical whatever but like sometimes i think people just want to feel like they belong to a community and they get really caught up in it and then it becomes their identity and i have seen clients struggle with this where they're like i don't feel like i jive with these people anymore or you know i see it a lot in like the keto paleo crossfit world right because for a while it's like these people get me and they don't think i'm weird because i'm carrying around water and i put you know sea salt on things and whatever and then after a while you start to get your own identity and you're like oh okay like liking gluten-free food isn't a personality this is just like a part of my life now so like what do you think are some of the worst trends that you have been seeing recently or maybe some things that maybe food rules or things that you think people should like kind of start to detach from or break up with or just be like mm, maybe I'm not I'm personally not loving that right now is there anything that's whole 30 like a whole 30 <laughs> yeah yeah so for people who don't know what whole 30 is can you kind of explain and what are some red flags with the whole 30 yeah. yeah so I will say I have a very unique perspective on this because I used to be a whole 30 coach when that was first a thing okay so then once I started god I mean I have been ripped apart on the internet for this. So if you have questions, I'm happy to answer them. But people have also just attacked my character and they're like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, really? Because I actually used to work for them. So I do know what I'm talking about. Anyway, but it's not just Whole30. I mean, that I I would say is like one of the most popular ones that happens year after year after year, which is why I keep talking about it because so many people have told me that they had never heard an alternative viewpoint that was like, wait, this is actually not creating a healthy relationship with food for people. It's actually messing it up more and for a very long time. Again, disclaimer, not for 100% of people. So don't come at me, right? If this quote worked for you, cool, you learned something about yourself. Do you need to do it every other month? That's not sustainable. That's actually problematic. That's actually pretty disordered. So to your question, 30, I mean, Whole30 is like one of these, you know, 30-day elimination diet things where you eliminate a whole bunch of different food groups that are potentially problematic or potentially inflammation causing for people, but you eliminate all of them regardless of any health condition that you have. Um, So it's like gluten, grains, dairy, all, every single form of sugar there is except fruit, um, alcohol, all processed food, any weird added ingredients, uh, legumes, including peanut butter and all beans, soy, I mean, missing anything, grains. And your free will to live. And your free will to live, like just so much stuff. So, and the, the way that it's designed is that you cut out all of these foods for 30 days and then you're supposed to systematically introduce them one at a time at the end of 30 days to see if you have any food reactions, right? It's designed like a classic elimination diet. Mm-hmm. Fine. That's not the way people use it. Um, so what ends up happening for a lot of people is it becomes this continual binge restrict cycle. Um, and it also, because they use, quote, science in the way that they describe the program, people now believe that every food that they have cut out is bad for them and is inflammatory. So people then believe that they can never eat beans again if they have one fart after eating beans or (laughs) he's laughing (laughs) or like that every time any or every time that they eat sugar or any dairy or any beans or corn or rice or whatever that it's going to bring an inflammatory process upon themselves that they're never going to be able to reverse 
again, this isn't everyone, but every single person that I have worked with that has ever come from Whole30, this is the mindset. So a lot of these programs, and this used to be, you know, a 30-day paleo challenge used to be the same thing. You know, there used to be like a 21-day sugar detox, same thing. It used to be, they're very, like a lot of these programs kind of fit the same bill. The difference is the Whole30 says that it'll fix your habit, your, your health, your habits, and your relationship with food. That's a lie. Uh, this is what I'm saying. So this is what goes back to if you're interested in doing some kind of reset or detox or whatever, and oh my God, they will die on the hill that it's not a diet, right? Even though it's like 30 days removing foods with the purpose of losing weight. Huh, I wonder what that's called. But this goes back to the impetus of like, okay, well, if you want to do one of these things, what is your motivation, right? If you want to figure out if you have a sensitivity to dairy, then maybe it makes sense to cut out dairy for a couple of weeks and then add it back in and see how it goes. It doesn't mean that you have to eliminate every single food group that's on these different lists because those are not personalized for you. Even these other, you know, functional medicine-based elimination programs, whether we're looking at like the cardiometabolic plan from IFM, or we're looking at the Mediterranean diet, or we're looking at a thyroid protocol or an autoimmune protocol, you have to take into account that those all have to be very general so that they can be applicable to a lot of people. But that doesn't mean that every single rule is going to be applicable or work for you. So this is where neutral nutrition comes in. What of this is evidence-based first? <laughs> what of this is applicable to me? And then what of this might be triggering for me, right? So those are kind of like the three things because sure, let's look at, you know, whatever protocol it is. If it's evidence-based, great. Let's, let's check that box. Let's not go to whatever, you know, quote, nutrition expert who doesn't actually have any training on Instagram that's like, if you eat like me, you'll look like me, right? Yes. So let's not do that. Let's go for something evidence-based and then look at, okay, what are the foods that I'm sensitive to? What foods do I like to eat? Do I have anaphylactic reactions to anything? Do I respond negatively to certain foods from a like symptom perspective? And then looking at your relationship with food, what might be triggering to you, right? Because if you think about, even if you have rheumatoid arthritis or something like that, but you also have a history of disordered eating or eating disorder. If your practitioner tells you that you have to cut out sugar for six months, it's probably going to cause you to binge, in which case your symptoms are actually going to get worse than if you ate sugar in moderation, working with a practitioner and figuring out what that looks like for you. So important you said that because I have this conversation with people all the time and I kind of give the analogy of it's kind of like packing for a trip, right? Like sometimes you have to just lay out all of your options right because people they <laughs> yeah. i'm sure they reach you and they're super upset by the time because they're like i've tried this and i tried this and this worked and it didn't and like they're you know they're disappointed with themselves they're bummed whatever it is right and they're like cool i actively participated in creating this just relationship that's not working for me so i'm like no it's literally like being an overpacker of saying listen if i only have two outfits to wear that means that i only have two outfits like that are my options. If you have tried 90 different diets, that just means that you have laid out more options for you to bring on the quote trip to say, you know what, I woke up today and I realized that I actually don't want to wear blue, but I like it sometimes and maybe later in the week I will. So to your point, like it's you have to sometimes try things. People always talk about this idea of like, you got to be positive and lean into what works. And I'm like, no, a lot of the times you learn shit in life about what doesn't work and 
okay, this was my extreme of like, this was a full on binge over here. And then to the other side, it's like, you have to find your true north by sometimes having extremes of being like, this just doesn't work. But you can absolutely be like, you know what? I did like removing sugar or I did like having more carbohydrates or, you know what? Maybe I do feel better on, you know, fats or whatever it is. And it's like, yeah, that's called biochemical individuality. And something to your point that because you took a three hour nutrition course quote, and it sounds so negative sometimes people think, but you know, you and I can roll our eyes all day because it's like, no, we have been doing this for years and you know, it's people's health and money and time. And like I said, all I'm like, I get, I get really upset about it because by the time people do reach you and me, they've already spent so much time and money and energy. And then you almost feel like you're supposed to be this like health magician and fix everything. So I would love to hear what you think are some like red flags slash deal breakers for people who are maybe looking to work with someone who's a quote coach or they're running a 12 week program and whatever. Like what are some things that people should be like, "Mm, yeah, I should maybe, I should maybe circle back to that. Oh man. Okay. So issues with the way that people are marketing things and or themselves. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Um, my number one thing is if someone says something to the extent of like it's my way or the highway out right like if they say this is the only way that you're ever going to fix your SIBO just just go find somebody else right um another hard part of this is like there's this really complicated dance when you're trying to find a practitioner, right? Whether it's a nutrition practitioner, a doctor, like a therapist, whatever it is, right? Because you kind of want to go on like a first date with them before you agree to working with them in their six month program, right? If somebody, again, if it's my way or the highway, this also goes for like packages and stuff. If someone says the only way that I'll work with you if you sign up is if you sign up with me for an entire year, but they don't let you do a free intro session or your first initial session or whatever it is. No, yeah. like what, you know? So you want to look for somebody who has your best interests at heart, right? I always tell people, and I do a free 15 minute intro session for anybody who ever wants to work with me, because that's exactly what I say to them. I'm like, Hey, this is like a first date with a nutritionist. I want to get to know you a little bit better. I want you to get to know me a little bit better so we can make sure we're a good match to working together, you know, in the future. So the hard thing is that it's not easy to find somebody who's going to drive with your personality, who's an expert in your health conditions, who operates from a philosophy that you agree with, right? Most people that are coming to us want a more integrative and functional approach, right? But if they're looking for someone who's a specialist in MS, that's not me, right? So if you get a practitioner who can admit that they're not an expert in everything, great, right? The biggest I would, okay, going back to your original question, I would say one of the biggest red flags is somebody who thinks they know everything about everything. Huge red flag. Yeah. Yes, which is so funny because it's what so many of these, you know, quote, nutrition experts think. They think they know everything about gut health and they know everything about the nervous system and they know everything about all of this other stuff. And it's like, well, actually, the mark of a good practitioner is someone who realizes that the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know right? Like Brianna just finished her PhD program, right? As soon as you actually start one of these graduate programs, like I'm not in a PhD program, but I'm sure the more you know, the more it's like, holy shit, there's so the much dumbest, I don't the know. I've you know? Ever felt in my entire adult life, basically. <laughs> yeah. 
But it's funny because, you know, you're, we're in a PhD program. You're like, this is the dumbest I ever felt in my life. And then you have Joe Schmo over here who's done a three-month online nutrition course for like three hours a week. And they're like, now I know everything about how to fix people. It's like, oh, gosh. So, yeah, I mean, I would say if you're looking for a new practitioner, definitely go for somebody who has a free call where you can, you know, look them up look up their Instagram, look up their social media, look up their website, like learn more about them. If they have a podcast, listen to a couple episodes before, you know, invest in working with them. I think that's a great way to learn, you know, get to know people a little bit better. And then I haven't mentioned credentials yet, right? I'm getting to it. So depending on what you're going for, you don't necessarily need somebody with as many credentials as, as me or Brianna, right? If you're just looking for someone who's going to keep you, you know, quote, accountable or hold your hand for what you're currently doing, you can get a health coach, you can get a life coach, you know, you can get someone like that, but get someone who's trained in that modality, right? Like these, you know, nutrition experts is what they call themselves because they can't legally call themselves anything else. It's like, okay, so you know how to use a calorie calculator and you know what foods are generally more nutrient dense than others. Okay, I could find that from a Google search. Like that's not what I need if I'm going to pay someone for this, right? If you need specialized functional medicine, integrative nutrition, all of that help, you need someone who has that training. This is where credentials can come in handy and beyond credentials as well, right? Because I know plenty of you know, nutritional therapy practitioners and stuff, which, you know, we can get into that. But I know plenty of them who have gone far and beyond their initial training to get certified and get additional certifications and, you know, like MTHFR, and now they're like a mold specialist or whatever. I'm not a specialist in either of those things, right? Are my initial credentials like longer and harder than theirs? Yes, but that doesn't mean now that I still know more than they do. So really look into people before you invest in working with them or really invest in following them too, right? Because that's the other thing too. If we're going back to social media, if you're only following uncredentialed nutrition influencers, it's really easy to fall into that confirmation bias track of if someone's telling you that celery juice is going to fix all of your problems and then you see it over and over and over and over and over again, you're probably going to start to believe it. Yeah. No. Because that's all you're seeing. Oh my God. I see, I love that you brought that up too, because I'm the same kind of person because people will, you know, slide in my DMs or even email. And I'm like, I will absolutely not work with anybody unless we hop on. I don't care if it's for a two minute conversation on the phone, because it's not always a fit for me as well. Just like it's not a fit for you. You could have a person come to you and they might love you as a fan and be like, I've listened to your podcast. And that's just not your person because, you know, I think you and I are both kind of the same of like, listen, we're not going to sugarcoat everything and we're going to like be real with you. And you're going to have to like, learn I, I think you and I both have pretty educated clients I would say like I think you and I are both really big on that like I'm like you, I have some of the smartest clients out there because you have to understand that you're going to always have a relationship with food you know so I think that that is so important that you said that of like and I've said that to clients who are like I want a meal plan and I'm just like I don't do that I don't believe in it it's not for me so like I'm not your person I'm like here's a couple of people you could follow that I like but that you know is definitely not for me. So I love that you said that. And the idea of expert, when I hear that word, you could actually be an expert and I will cringe because I'm like, I, I feel like I have imposter syndrome. You know, I think the people who are actually the smartest have the most imposter syndrome. To oh, be yeah. Like, Am I actually this smart or can I really help people? And I think, 
it's just so interesting like the bravado that some of these people have on like to your point i'm like yeah i watch a lot of gray's anatomy but i'm not doing open heart surgery i'm not <laughs> right <laughs> i'm not a i'm not a you know heart coach or a law coach because i watch svu but for some reason nutrition gets this i mean i've been saying that joke for years but it's true and it's like i think it's offensive to the academic world obviously but also to people just you know helping people so i love that yeah. you brought that up how would you say that your to your point of like, you know, the more you learn, the more you're like, oh God, I don't know anything. I think back to some advice that I probably gave younger in my career when I was hardcore, like dairy-free, gluten-free, paleo. And then I look back and I'm like, well, that was a little aggressive. You, <laughs> I was like, I should have maybe had some more balance myself. Um, sorry to my younger clients. How do you feel? Are there Have there been really kind of any areas of health or wellness that maybe you've realized actually have much more of an impact on overall wellness or philosophies that you really leaned into that you're like, I could take my foot off the the gas a little bit there. Has there been kind of any changes there over the past, the evolution of Dana? Yeah. I mean, I used to like back in the, you know, uh, during, I would say during grad school and kind of like a year after grad school, I was super into the like, oh, you have this problem. Here's this elimination diet, right? Because as someone who celiac is kind of a different autoimmune disease right because that's the one where i would say like you really do need to eliminate that food and you really do need to do a gut healing protocol after that and you probably need to eliminate some other foods in order to heal right so i was like oh my god food really can fix things right after being which i'm sure a lot of your clients fit the same bills like had gone to conventional medicine, didn't find any answers, went to functional medicine, then it was like, whoa, this actually works. But there's so many like hoops to jump through here too, right? So that was my experience. And I was like, I want to do this. Like I wanted to become a nutritionist so I could make sure that no one had to suffer like I did basically. Um, but I was putting myself through a lot of suffering as well <laughs> with the disordered eating stuff too. So it was like, ugh. Once I came around to that, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, once I started having these realizations that not only are these elimination protocols damaging to people's relationship with food, but a lot of them aren't actually fi fixing what these people are coming to the elimination protocols for, right? So I was like very into those, right? Obviously, like a big regret is like working so closely with the Whole30 community. But I think I learned pretty quickly once I actually started seeing um clients for whole 30 this is like 2017 or something like that that i was like whoa there's a lot of red flags here and like so it was kind of like i'm seeing a lot of people who have done countless elimination diets including whole 30 and you know other ones and stuff like that that was like they're not actually healthy you know and not only are their symptoms not getting better but they don't know how to be, you know, quote unquote healthy unless they're a hundred percent on this protocol and their relationship with food is in the trash and their body image is in the trash. So it was like, whoa, we're going to, you know, take a left at the road here and we're going to go a different path and figure out how can we work on people's relationship with food? How can we work on the body image as an underlying cause of stress that's contributing to these symptoms? Thinking about different areas where I continue to learn more and more about what I don't know enough about yeah. <laughs> is the nervous system and gut health. Like, God, even if you, I mean, most of the people that I work with are gut clients, right? And then of course, there's a big adrenal nervous system piece of that as well that's tied into that. But man, like the more you learn about gut health, you're like, wow, and here's another trillion bacteria that we don't know anything about that could be impacting everything. So maybe everything that I'm saying right now doesn't matter. And we'll find that out in a couple of years, right? But so that's this is why I love the field of gut health. It's like there's always so much more to learn. But at the same time, there's so much imposter syndrome because you're like, 
okay, I'm doing what I know has worked for many clients before and it's very evidence-based, but holy crap, then you get somebody who has a number on a stool test. You're like, I have literally never seen that high before. What do I do about this? You know? And so I do a lot with that. And then also a lot about how trauma impacts the nervous system. I'm actually in a couple training courses right now about that and like polyvagal theory and all of that stuff and how that impacts gut health. So it's never one thing. It's always a lot of things all together that's like, wow, I didn't even know that this was an area that we had to concentrate on. I would love to hear you do a little bit of a... um a little bit longer than an elevator pitch. Let's pretend we're like riding a hundred stories as opposed to 30 kind of elevator pitch of, because trauma is another one of these words right now where I love it. I love that people are open about trauma and talk about it, but everything now it's almost a joke where it's like, Oh, my hair is not growing. It's trauma from my childhood. Or, you know what I mean? Like I can't digest, I can't digest gluten. It's trauma. Like everything's trauma. And I'm like, no, it's great. But what are we going to do about that? And how at some point do we actually start, you know, taking responsibility to say, yeah, I understand there was trauma. It's shitty and it is what it is. But now these are the real impacts it's actually having on my health. And this is how I change it. So how have you seen kind of this idea of trauma come to the surface and where have you seen it with clients or show up in, showing up in gut health or nervous system or kind of just what are some things that you've been learning that you're loving? Yeah. So I, I, again, I'm like pretty new to this, like a couple of like six months right? Like I had been learning about it for a long time, but I hadn't taken any specific courses about it until, you know, this past year. Um, and so I never really start there. So with most people, it's like, okay, let's dig into like, what are your symptoms right now? What is some functional medicine testing that we can do? What's some blood work, you know, all these things. Let's really see what's going on deep beneath the surface. And then we start to look at, okay, well, you know, what could be impacting the symptoms now, right? So I go into that and it's always a root cause approach and everything. But before this year, it didn't even occur to me that trauma could be a root cause of current symptoms, right? So to give an example, if you as a clinician have been doing a lot of gut healing stuff and hormone stuff and everything, and you're like, wait, you know, this person had SIBO and it seems like the SIBO is gone and you know, they had a parasite and now the parasite's gone. They had hydrogen sulfide, whatever. And now that seems to be gone, but they're still having all these like very recurring issues. You can start to see like depending, and this gets kind of deep, right? But depending on the type of trauma what that it was, right? If it was like sexual trauma, if it was like physical, you know, verbal, whatever it was, um, adverse childhood experiences, ACEs are like a really big thing that play into gut health, neurological health, like depending on when they happen can really impact the development of your neurotransmitters and everything like that. And then when we're looking at, you know, the gut brain connection, obviously those people are going to be more prone to mental health conditions, but then hello, the gut brain connection, the different ways the bacteria develop, then you can go all the way back to, and you know, whether you call this a trauma or not, you know, depending on the practitioners, like were you a c-section baby were you a vaginal birth baby you know like all of this other stuff which we know plays a huge role in the development of your gut bacteria and the immune system as well so for example there's a lot of research more recently to show that pelvic floor therapy after having some kind of sexual trauma can really help with people who are predisposed towards constipation, that's not necessarily a gut bacteria issue, right? If you are if our client, for example, and I see on your stool set, test that you have a lot of methane producing bacteria, you're going to tend to be more constipated. 
if then we get rid of those methane producing bacteria, we've been working on more mindful eating, eating in a relaxed environment, like optimizing digestion from a physical standpoint and then also a mental health standpoint as much as possible. If you're still constipated and things like, you know, magnesium and other supplementation isn't working, we have to go deeper, right? And that might not be the answer. It might be something else entirely, but that it's not something that we can ignore, right? But then I think it's also so difficult to get into this realm because again, so many people, especially if you're coming from the conventional medicine world, we're so used to it just being physical health alone. Even the idea of the gut-brain connection is so revolutionary for some people of being like, wait a minute, my mental health impacts my gut health and my gut health impacts my mental health? I'm like, yeah. Have you ever been nervous before a race and you felt like you were going to poop your pants? That, excuse me, is the gut-brain connection. Or if you were nervous before a presentation or something, you have butterflies in your stomach. That's the gut-brain connection, you know? So taking it a step further and thinking about mental health from like a trauma piece is like a little bit too far for a lot of people um, especially because I think over the past couple of years people have become so much more aware of like even just like trauma as a word but when you think about what trauma actually is and what stress actually is it's an unprocessed emotions that are stored in the body in some way and if you haven't done whatever work is required to help process that out it's going to continue to build up and build up and build up to eventually the point where it's going to manifest in some way it's not like it's just going to sit there and be like cool like we had this adverse childhood experience we're just going to be good for our whole lives right if it goes untreated it's going to grow into something that becomes unmanageable. And then you start to have all these symptoms of like, wait a minute, like I used to be, you know, like relatively fine. I used to have like some bloating and like some gas here and there, but this is entirely unmanageable. And something that I don't know that much about yet is how do, for example, adverse childhood experiences or, you know, any kind of trauma earlier in life as a teenager or whatever, or even recent trauma, how does that affect your gut bacteria, for example? How does that affect the development of neurotransmitters? How does that affect, you know, this? There's so many more things that we don't know that, you know, even if I would consider myself, I don't want to say a gut health expert, right? Because I'm definitely not. But someone who mostly works with people with gut issues and is successful at helping people with their gut issues, it's very jarring but also very interesting to learn that there's so many more components that we thought there were and from a practitioner's standpoint like one that's scary because there's so much more to learn but like hey we're young we got years to learn this stuff but at the same time it's like wow I'm going to be able to help my clients in so many deeper ways that they might not even realize are a component of their symptoms right now I love that because the field of psychoneuroimmunology in general is like one of my favorite fields. And I think we have just like hit the tip of that. And you probably get this too, because you do have to be an advanced client to even be open to the idea to be like, I, I, like I'll have clients who say like, I just feel, and whatever it is they say, and I'll say back to them, no, literally whatever you say is true. Like it is because your body does hear it and it sounds hippy dippy and there is some hippy dippy stuff to it but it's also there's science i mean our you know like neurotransmitters and our 
immune cells. I mean, they, our brain and our immune system evolved together, you know, and there's so much research about brain scans that we're doing now and seeing like they said, this stuff that happened early on, how stressed out your mom was when she was pregnant, all this kind of stuff, like, and how that affects the microbiome, how different areas of the limbic brain can, you know, be elicited. So it's, it's like it, to your point, it's, it's really exciting. So, I mean, I could nerd about this all day, but, um, before we can have people figure out where they can follow you and potentially work with you and listen to your podcast and all that, I like to always ask if you could give yourself, your younger self, one piece of health advice or one maybe diet rule relationship that you would love to have broken up with earlier, like what would that be? Oh man, like so many, I mean, I feel like I could write a book to my younger self, shit. Um, Maybe I will. Maybe I will. And I think sometimes advice, I used to actually be, I used to always say advice is a form of nostalgia, but I I recently have been on this kick of advice sometimes is actually um, for your future self too. Like things that you maybe haven't even experienced yet or you don't realize that at some point I will maybe go through that and will want to have have that little nugget like tucked in. So maybe what's something that you would maybe want to tell a future version of yourself while you're working through this. Okay, so past self, I would say um, health is not all or nothing, I think is a good one that would be very helpful for me um, and helpful for a lot of people. Um, And then future, I don't know, can we just say everything's going to be okay? Yeah. (laughs) Even if if it feels like it's not most days. Oh my God. People and myself included sometimes like to make things so complicated and we're so analytical and we're like, but why? And I'm like, sometimes it's really just not that. I said, I'm like, sometimes it's just not that complicated. Like it's going to be okay. This too shall pass. You're going to be fine. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. So how can people follow you, work with you, um, podcast, let everybody know where they can get more things. Dana. Yeah. So the main place I hang out on social media after just dogging on social media all day um, is Dana Monsi's underscore CNS. So my full name slash one of my credentials, one of one piece of the alphabet. Right. Um, And then you can find my website and everything from there. But my podcast is the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. I have a a co-host named Christina. Um, She also did a functional medicine integrative nutrition grad school program not with me, but at the same time as me. Actually, if people don't know this, because we talked about this such a long time ago, me and Brianna had actually professors in common, even though we didn't go to the same school. So that was one of the first ways we connected. We were like, wait, you had smart professors? Like, I had that same smart professor. Like, you, you must also be smart. Yeah. You seriously <laughs> cried in that class too? Cool. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I kind of want to go back to that class sometimes. I'm like, oh, I need those labs again. Um, and then if my website is realfoodwithdana.com, but I'm trying to change the domain to that, but unsure how to do that. Again, so many more things that I don't know. It's like, I want to change my domain to be just my name, but then I would break every link on my website. So, uh, you know, figuring that out. Breaking the internet, maybe a 2022 problem for you. Let's hope not, God. (laughs) Well, Dana, as always, I love having you on the show. I mean, you are literally one of my favorite people on the internet and in real life. So I hope that you'll come back. And I'm so grateful for your time. And everybody go show Dana all the love. And y'all have a great day. Yeah, thank you for having me. Bye.